Uh, hi, I'm Ray Johnston, and this is... Hey, I'm Steve. Yep. And uh, we just walked out here to shoot. This is sort of a first for everybody here at Willow. <laughs> first time we've ever done And this. Matt came running up and said, hey, because I care, your hair's sticking up. <laughs> and so we got that fixed. And then Steve said... Words I've never heard before. Yeah. So welcome to the first time we're doing this service, trying to get this thing right. And the first thing we want to say is this. Um, Steve, how long has Willow been at church? It's 44 years. Yeah. For 44 years... You all have been faithful to come to us. Now, during the season, it's our turn. We're coming to you, and we are thrilled to be able to deliver the service right into your living rooms. Yeah. So here's just one update before we jump into the message. And this is it. Many of you know this was going to be my last weekend here on staff transitioning off. Ray and I have been talking, and Ray just asked, with everything going on in the world, with all the crisis, he said, would you be willing to stay for a few more weeks to be a pastoral voice and just an advisor? And I love this church, care about Ray, and so we said yes. So we're going to postpone our transition for a few weeks, and honestly, we just want to be here with you in the midst of the season and be a church. And so today we're diving in. We're going to dive into the book of Mark, this whole new study of the book of Mark that we're doing called The Journey Through Mark. We hope you've got a book and a bookmark. Ray's going to kick us off and dive right into this teaching. So, Ray, take it away. And pretty much Steve undersold that. I wasn't that subtle about it. I was going, don't go, okay? (laughs) This place needs you, and I want to say thank you for doing that. So we'll tag team this message. I'm going to do the first part. Steve will do the second part. So the second part will be much better than the first part. So here we go, okay? If you've got a Bible or anything you can turn to, turn to Mark chapter 2. And while you're doing that, let me tell you a quick story. Um, I'm in Northern California a few years ago. I get a phone call, and it's in a Monday morning emergency. And they said, can you get over to the hospital fast? And I said, why? And they said, there's a guy, and he, they gave me a name. He's a Bayside guy there. And they said, he has, his heart's in real trouble. It started triple timing, and it's been rapidly beating all night, all night, all night. And they said, I said, what do you need me there for? And they said, he is in the hospital. He's in intensive care. He is hooked up. They're going to shock his heart and turn it off and then turn it back on. And they said, he literally will not let them do it because he thinks when they turn his heart off, it's not coming back on. And he will not let him shock his heart until you personally come over here and pray for him. I broke every speed limit getting to the hospital in Jesus' name. I, ro- I race in. They open up the doors. Somebody meets me. They race me up. We walk in there, and his eyes are huge like saucers. He is scared out of his mind. His wife is next to him. She's in tears. And there's a nurse in there, and she is not happy about any of this, and she's not happy I'm there. And she said, hurry up and pray for him. We got to get this thing moving. So I walk up. I talk to him, and I said, hey, I'm going to pray for you. Then I'll wait in the waiting room, and then I will be back here after this happens. I prayed for him. And then just to mess with him a little bit, I said, now they're going to shock your heart and I'll see on the other side. And so that's exactly what happened. I start to leave. The doctor walks in and the doctor said, hey, Pastor Ray, I go to Bayside. And he looks right at me and says, do you want to stay? The nurse is not happy about this, but I said, yes. And then he hooks this guy up. He's hooked up and there is almost like a giant battery charger, and they get this thing ready, and they turn it on, and it starts building up power and power and power and power, and his heart's over here on the monitor beating way too fast, and then it gets built, and just as this thing builds maximum power, there's a button on this machine that the doctor's going to push, and the doctor looks over at me and says, hey, Ray, do you want to push the button? Now, I don't know if you're in a living room or whatever, raise your hand if you would push the button. Yeah, half, half of the, raise your hand if you're going, not me, I'm the same way. 
I, I went, I'm pushing the button. So I walk over there and I'm waiting and the doctor said, now. And I push this button and all of a sudden there's this noise, this energy transfers to this guy. His whole body shakes, bam, like this. And then his heart, which has been going beep, 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 way too fast. His heart just flatlines. And then I think, oh, no, I just killed a guy in my church. And then about two seconds later, his heart kicks back on, beating normal beats. That was 10 years ago. He has been fine ever since. Now, why am I starting a series on the Gospel of Mark with that illustration right at this time of the coronavirus for one reason? I walked out of the hospital that day, and I thought one thing. Wouldn't it be great if every problem we ever had could be solved just by pushing a button. Wouldn't it be great if every single thing in my marriage with my teenagers at Willow, at Bayside, wouldn't it be great if everything in America you could just solve the presidential election, whatever it is, just by pushing a button? And the problem is, if you've been alive long enough, you know that life is much harder and more complicated than you thought. Headlines this week are things like this. Coronavirus, far worse than we thought. Here's another one. Stand up, shockwaves from virus upending everybody's life. Everyday life in America has now changed, including this is our worship service right here because we can't gather. And I want to begin by giving you five common destructive reactions to crisis. Okay, if you got something to take a picture of this, write it down, but here we go. Okay, five destructive reactions. Number one is this. When crisis hits, some people respond with panic, anxiety, and worry. Anti-anxiety meds are up 30%. Time Magazine said we're living in the decade of anxiety. Second one is this, hopelessness. People feel this hopelessness about the future, and the problem with that is this, where there is no faith, in the future, there is no power in the present, which is why people feel so hopeless and powerless. Third one is this, anger and bitterness. Fourth one, people make rash, unhealthy decisions. That's it, I'm gonna crawl in a hole, I'm gonna ignore everything. And the last one is this, people have this sense of, I'm just helpless, I don't know what to do. Now, I wanna say two things. Number one is this, all five of these things I've felt in the last 14 days, to be really honest with you. All five of these are normal. It's part of the human condition. Read the Psalms. They're all over the book of Psalms. There are times I've felt all of these things just in the last week. However, these are normal human emotions. However, when these turn into a lifestyle, you self-destruct and have a severely limited future. We believe that God has better days ahead for you. And if you've got Mark chapter two, we just wanna answer one question. Steve and I are gonna tag team this and here it is. How do you find hope? How do you find hope and encouragement as opposed to these things during tough times. And because we're Christians, not only how do you find hope and encouragement, but how do you become a person that gives hope and encouragement to other people? The best chapter by far on this in the Bible is Mark chapter two. Let me just read you these verses. But what happens is four people are dealing with somebody whose entire life for 38 years has been stuck. And it says this, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard he'd come home. 
okay? So many people gathered, there was no room left, not even outside the door. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic by, carried by four of them and said they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening. They literally climb up on the roof and they make an opening in the roof above Jesus. Something the Bible teaches that destruction of church property sometimes is essential for good ministry. I'm kidding. And then it says this. When Jesus, they lowered the man in front of Jesus. He looks down at this man and he says, when Jesus saw their faith. We'll come back to that second. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic a shocking statement for everybody in the room. My son, your sins are forgiven. And then, of course, whenever you gather Christians, there are people there to worship and there are people there to criticize. And it says this, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit, that's what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk. And then he says this, but that you may know that the son of man. And when he uses that phrase with that crowd, he's referring back to the book of Daniel chapter seven. He's establishing his authority. He says, well, you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. And here's a great phrase. He took up his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they all praised God saying, We've never seen anything like this. And I believe no matter whether you've been stuck for 38 years like this guy or it's a current crisis, there is a way to let go of anxiety and all of these things and there are a way to replace it with hope and encouragement so that you lift people and you are lifted by God and then you will see God do things where you're going, I have never imagined this could be like this. And I actually believe this, the way God worked then is the same way God works now. And Steve and I want to give you the four steps they took during a time of crisis for this guy. And I actually believe this. You take these four steps and hope and encouragement can flood the life of anybody no matter what you're going through. And it's actually going to spell the word rise, R-I-S-E, because we actually think hope needs to rise in America during this time. And the first one is this. It is raise your expectations. The very first point is this. Raise your expectations. I love this. It says this. When Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, all through the Bible, you know, ask the question, what is it that impresses God? I mean, think about it for a second. If you're God, what in the world could impress you? For example, if I had a basketball and I was on a court, what could I ever do that would impress Michael Jordan? Nothing. If I had a golf club, what could I do to impress Tiger Woods? Nothing. If you're God, what in the world could you do to ever attract the attention of God and get noticed by God? And all the way through the scripture, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, and these guys, it was their faith that triggered a miracle. It was their expectation that triggered a miracle. I actually believe this. You will never rise and you will never lift anybody else up until your faith raises your expectations. The same thing is true with me. And what authentic faith, what does it mean to have faith? It means to believe that God is not done working. 
It means to believe that God is working during seasons. It means that God is working when it doesn't even look like God is working. Maybe the best way to describe that is this. Um, I was in Chicago. I was a professor, and a, a friend of mine told me this story. It was his first day of Little League Baseball. And his game, it was in the middle of nowhere, Iowa. And he said, it was one of the most emotional days of my life. He said, I'm eight years old. The league was eight to 10. He said, I weighed like 13 pounds. He said, and I was non-athletic. I was terrible. And he said, and it got worse. Every relative I had for 70 miles came to this little baseball field in the middle of Iowa to see my first game. He said, it got worse. I played right field. And even when you're eight years old, you know why you're in right field. And then he said this, and it got worse again. He said, I was up three times. I struck out all three times. I didn't even come close to hitting the ball. That's how bad it was. And then he said, and then it got worse. It is the last inning of the last game on this little baseball field in the middle of nowhere. And he said, bases are loaded. We're behind by one run and I'm up. He said, I stood in the on-deck circle looking at the coach going, God, pinch hit for me, man. And he said, the coach is like, get up there, take your swings. He said, I walked up to the batter's box and I noticed a couple things at the same time. The first one is this. He said, I looked around. He said, every relative I have, 60 of them has come to see this game. They're on this side and there are about 100 people on our side, every relative I've got, and they are standing on their feet cheering for me to get a hit and win the game. He said, I looked at the other side and there are 100 people that are against me on that side and they are cheering for me to strike out and lose the game. The pressure was insane. And he said, I thought, I got to get a hit. He said, I looked out at the pitcher's mound and he goes, the minute I looked, I knew I had no shot because the pitcher was 6'8 and had a beard. At least that's how it looked to an eight-year-old. He said, I got, I'm shaking, I'm standing there, I'm scared stiff. Every relative I got screaming, the pitcher wound up and <laughs> threw it. He goes, All I, I didn't even see it. I just heard the umpire say, strike one. Ball goes back out. The guy winds up, fires it in a second time. He goes, it hit the catcher's mitt. I heard the umpire go, strike two. He said, when the ball went back out, I stepped out of the batter's box and he goes, and then I made a fatal mistake. I looked around. He said, my relatives are actually hanging on the fence screaming. That's how intense they were. And he said, and I knew if I don't get a hit, I am going to strike out. I'm going to be a loser. I'm going to be known as a loser for the rest of my life. I'll have no future. And he said, I got back in that batter's box. And he said, I started swinging during his windup. For the first time, I saw the ball coming down. Everybody's screaming. And I swung as hard as I could and missed. The ball hit the catcher's mitt. The umpire said, strike three, you're out, game over. He said, I heard this huge cheer from the opponent's side, because I'd struck out, lost. And then he said, I heard something I will never forget as long as I live. I heard an audible groan from my side and every relative I had, and I knew I'd struck out I'd failed. I was a loser. My life was over. He said, I dropped the bat at home plate and I started walking to the dugout. And he said, the other team gathered up. You know how they do? They're going two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate? And they're all pointing at me. And he said, I walked into the dugout and all the guys in the dugout, they are literally going, 
you jerk, idiot, you lost the game, you bonehead. He said, I'm sobbing my eyes out. I, I literally sit down at the end of the bench. I pull my hat down, jacket over, and I'm just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And he said, well, it must have been 15 minutes. And then he said, then I hear noise from the outfield. And he goes, then I hear this voice. And the voice says, hey, son, get back up. The game ain't over. He said, I heard it again. Hey, son, get back up. The game ain't over. He said, I lift my jacket, my hat up, and I rub my eyes. And he said, and then I saw him there. He choked up talking about it. There on the pitcher's mound was my dad. He said, my dad had a mitt and a ball. And he said, hey, son, get back up. The game ain't over. And then I look around. The bat was right where I dropped it. It hadn't been moved. And none of my relatives have left. They are all in the field. And he said, my dad just kept saying, hey, son, get back up. The game ain't over. And he goes, I sheepishly walked up. All of my relatives started cheering. And my dad, he... He just said, hey, son, the game ain't over. He threw a pitch in, swung and missed, threw a pitch. He, about 10 pitches, he kept saying the same thing. Hey, son, game ain't over. About the 10th pitch, I went, whack! I hit a line drive in the left field. He said, my dad, he's, I'm at the home plate going, yes! He goes, my dad said, what are you doing? Run! Okay, where's first base? Oh, I've never been there before. I ran down to first base just in time to see the center field, the left fielder throw it to center field. I run to second base just in time to see the center fielder throw it to right field, okay? Who is my blind uncles in right field? He goes, as I'm running to third, I think I knew they were screwing up on purpose to make sure I got home safe, okay? But at this point, all I really realize is They have thrown the ball to a blind guy. I'm going to score. He goes, I round third base. I come running in. I dive over home plate. And he goes, I'm all dirty. And he goes, I hop up. And for the first time that day, I'm actually laughing. And then he says, then I saw him on one knee. So we're the same height, right behind home plate. He said, was my, my dad. He said, my dad tears are streaming down his face. He said, my dad did, he just held his arms out wide, looked right at me and said, son, you're safe at home. And I threw myself into my dad's arms and I felt his arms wrap around me. And, he, and he, as he picked me up, he said, I told you the game wasn't over. I told you the game wasn't over. I told you the game wasn't over. And he said, and that worst day of my life turned into the best day of my young life because as the sun set at this little baseball field in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, all 60 of my relatives carried me off the field, cheering. If Jesus were to hop right through whatever you're walking and walk up to you right in this moment, what do you think he'd say? I, I got a list, man. You have been striking out. No, what do you think he'd say? He would look right at you and he would say, no matter how much you've struck out, my son, your sins are forgiven. My daughter, your sins are forgiven. No matter what's gone on, get back up. The game ain't over. And I want to say to those of you trouble at home, get back up. Your marriage isn't over. Get back up. Your family's not done. Willow Creek, get back up. The game ain't over. The words of Jesus that our faith is when you begin to believe, I can get back up because the game ain't over. 
The first point here, Steve, come on up. The first point is this. It is, in rise, is raise your expectations because that changes everything. And this message is about to get much, much better. Steve, you're on. And then just moving forward, it's increase your contact, increase your connection to others. And I know we're in a season with coronavirus, everything else. Everything we're hearing is don't increase your connection. In fact, stay further away. No handshakes. Uh, don't go to the office. In fact, a new phrase has been introduced to me called social distancing. The idea being if you're going to be in public, stay away from each other. Everything is telling us, stay away. The truth of this passage is it says quite the opposite, that if you want to have an impact, if you want to see God do a miracle in someone else, you've got to get closer to them. You've got to increase your contact. Notice this, this story. Jesus isn't in a big metropolitan city. He's not in Jerusalem. He's in the countryside. Uh, he's in a small town. And everyone there raced to see him. They all went right past this guy on the mat, the man on the mat that they probably all knew. They all walked right past him. It was four friends who stopped to say, out of everyone in this town who needs to see Jesus, it's him. And they did the effort. They were aware of him. They thought of him. They weren't so busy thinking of themselves or aware of their problems that they missed him. They were connected to him. Now, there's a concern I have in the season we are all in, where all of us, many of us aren't going to work. Many of us aren't leaving home. Many of us are staying very distant. And the concern is this. There's this phrase that's always been said, that uh, out of sight, out of mind. And my concern in this season, when we are all very distant, is we will all become out of sight and out of mind. So I'm challenging you, Christians, actually increase your contact. Now, it may need to look a little different in this season. This season, maybe what we need to do is send more emails, make more phone calls, have more conversations where we just try to check in with people. How are you doing? We're trying to be aware of them, to care about them, to, to stay connected. But don't in this season disconnect completely and miss the chance because my belief is there are some people in your life now more than ever who need God. And you may be the one who's going to bring them to that. You may be the one that God uses for a miraculous point in their life. But the key is you've got to increase your connection, increase your contact, stay with them so that they're in your mind and so that they're in your prayers. The greater the connection, the greater the opportunity. So please stay connected in this. Raise your expectations. Increase your connection, increase your contact. And then start serving. Notice this. These guys, once they realize Jesus is here in the town, everyone's going to see him. They see their friend, they go, this is the one person who needs him. They have to do something and it's this. They've got to pick him up. They lifted him and they started to carry him. We don't know how far. Their hopes must have been sky high of what will Jesus do when he sees them. And then they got to the house and realized it's so jam-packed we can't get to him. Do they give up? In this moment, they go, the service just got a little bigger. Not only do we have to carry him, we've got to lift him to the roof. And so they did just that, got on the roof. Then they had to cut a hole in the roof. They have felony property damage on their records now because of this, right? And then they have to do the effort to lower him down. Notice this. They had to go to extreme lengths to get this man to Jesus. They had to do everything they could to serve him, to get acknowledged. They had to serve. Notice this. When you're being used by God, there's a misconception that this is easy. My experience has been far from that. That if you want to be used by God, often it takes a tenacity and you have to overcome obstacles and you have to work. 
in this season, I think Christians, many of us at Willow, we're going to have to work to serve. It's going to be a lot of obstacles we're going to have to think through. But for our friends, we're going to have to do the effort to get out there and to give. This includes things like our care center, which had such an awesome turnout this weekend as we handed out food as cars drove up. It's going to include thoughtfulness towards people who are at risk just to go, how can I serve them? Do they need meals? Do they need food? But we're going to have to do the diligence to start serving and to continue serving and to overcome obstacles. And this is part of what I love about this church. Time and time again, you've done just this. This is part of our story, a tenacity to say, whatever God asks, we'll do. Whatever it takes, we'll do it. We're not going to stop with one obstacle or two. If we have to carry someone all the way there, if we've got to lift them to a roof, cut a hole in the roof and lower them down, we'll do whatever God asks. And in this season, I hope this is one of the shiny moments for all of us to say, we're going to do exactly what God asks. So raise your expectations. Increase your connection. Start serving. And then finally this, expect great things from God. Expect great things. Notice in this story, when Jesus does this miracle, when these who had showed up just to see a great speech, watch a hole cut in the roof, a man who was paralyzed lowered down, Jesus miraculously healed him and he walked out. It says they were amazed at what had happened. See, they didn't expect this. And these people knew who Jesus was. They knew he was a great teacher. They knew he'd done miracles before. You read through the book of Mark, chapter one is filled with miraculous stories. This is not his first. But in this moment, they're shocked. Why? Their expectations of what God could do, it's too low. Now, I want to say this to you. Some of you, I think, may have lowered your expectations of our great God. You don't expect great things. That's why your prayer life is dimmed. It's why maybe you don't even think to pray sometimes. If God did a miracle in your life, my hunch is you may be shocked too. And here's the beauty is, I think the key is to reflect more on what God has done in your life and what he's done in scripture is meant to raise your expectations of what our great God can do. When you dive into the book of Mark, day one, you're gonna go through chapter one and all chapter one is, is story after story after story of Jesus doing the miraculous. It's as if the author of this gospel wants to remind Christians for all time, our God does the miraculous all the time. Don't have low expectations, raise them because he can do great, great things. Expect great things, hope for great things, look for great things, be mindful of these great things and don't forget the great things God has done. And I do think that's part of the problem is we are forgetful people, right? Many times we forget how great our God is. It reminds me of a story. And the story is about uh, Diane Disney, Walt Disney's daughter. And she wrote an autobiography years later. And many thought this tell-all would really show some dark sides to Walt Disney. They were shocked when actually her story was one of what a wonderful father he was. And you may have heard the story. She tells the story that she knew her dad And she knew he was a busy man, but when she went to school and they talked through who each of their dads was, she shared that her dad was Walt Disney and the classroom erupted. They could not believe that her dad was Walt Disney. And she was shocked because she had not put together that her dad was the one who did Disney cartoons and Disneyland. And she ran home that day as her dad was looking at the paper, pushed the paper away, put her hands on her face and said, you never told me you were Walt Disney. And the idea is this, that She didn't know who her dad was. And in that moment, he became something far more than what she had thought. And I think the same is true for many of us with God. Your faith may be so familiar that you've forgotten how powerful and mighty our God is. And maybe this time, Mark, what you need is a reminder that he does great things. 
that there are great miracles that he's still doing and to expect great things from him. So that's the invitation, that your hope would rise, your engagement would rise, that you, even in difficult seasons like this, wouldn't just hunker down and hide, but you'd look for the opportunity to be used by God to draw closer to others, to serve them, and to see him work. If I could just talk to you now, I hope you don't let fear govern this time. I hope you let faith and hope and great expectations do it. I think if you do that, you're gonna experience God in new and powerful ways, even in some of the difficult days we're in. Would you pray with me now? So God, now we just said this prayer, that in this moment, on this day, you'd be so close to us. God, remind every person who's listening to us of how powerful you are and how mighty you are and how good you are. God, would you remind us just one more time of what a great father we have. And God, might our hopes and our faith rise right now. We prayed this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Now I want to invite Matt Wright and Ray to join me back up here. We really just want to talk through a few key uh, announcements, uh, things going on at Willow here in these days. So Matt? Yeah. Absolutely. Well done. Uh, thanks, Steve. Thank you so much for, uh, for teaching us today. I, like Steve said, we've got three things we want to tell you about. We've got a problem here. Uh, the problem is we're in an unprecedented season in our life. We've never gone through anything like this in our lifetime. Most of us have never experienced anything like that. And the solution is that even when we can't gather in this room together, that God is still God, that we are still the church. The solution is for us to leave this room and to be the church in our neighborhood. So I'd love to tell you what your part is. Your part is to stay connected. This is what I want to challenge you to do. Stay connected. First, choose to stay connected with God. Choose to say, this is a time that I want to make some progress. I want to draw deeper with God. And you can do that with our journey through Mark. Uh, we've got books, books for, for adults, books for students, book for kids, book for family. You can come to our South Barrington location and grab this book or just click on the link and download it. And to help you engage with it, Steve, Ray, me, several of our friends at Willow, every day we're going to record a short devotional to just walk with you. You. Together, let's choose to stay connected to God. Second, and you heard Steve hey, say can it. I here, you should. Just, just for a second, um, I pastor a church in California. I have the privilege of coming in and out of here. And um, this stuff is stunning, you guys. Mm. Um, this is, I've been doing this a long time. This is the best spiritual growth resource given away free to a congregation I have ever seen in history. And not only that, you have this. This is for adults. Right. This is for students. Students. This is for the whole family, families, and this is for, for the kids. And you, what do you charge for it? That's free, man. Outstanding. I'm stealing the stuff, bringing it home. <laughs> if you don't have it, come here. This is just outstanding stuff yeah. for people to grow spiritually. And if you want to come to our South Barrington location, we'll walk it out to your car. So you don't even have to come in. It's, it's nice and easy. On that real quick, all of these were created so that every member of your family can engage for them and you can have family conversations mm -hmm. together, which is just going to help you grow and grow in your connection to each other. That's good. That's good. So the, the first challenge for you is to get connected to God. Second, you heard Steve say it, connect to community. The temptation for all of us is going to be to retreat. And I want to challenge you, advance. How do you be the church in your neighborhood? Who do you need to invite to an online service? What phone call do you need to make? Who, who do you need to invite into this? Be connected to your community. And third, we're going to be connected to compassion. We're not going to hide as a church. And again, you heard Steve say this, our care center is giving away 
bags of groceries today. And, and today we literally had a line all the way to Barrington Road of people driving up and volunteers carrying these groceries. Friends, this is the church. Church isn't when we gather in a room and just worship together. That's not the end of church. This is church. So, so don't hide. Dive in. Stay connected to compassion. And for this to work, uh, we, we all have to give too. I'm going to be continuing to be faithful to the tithe for me and my wife and I, we're going to do that online. Giving online helps us to be faithful and keeps us from being forgetful. So if you want to give online, it'll be real simple. You can just click a link. Uh, Basically, what you can also do is take out your phone and text the letters WCSB to the number 77977 and you can learn more about it that way. But, But today, let's choose to stay connected. All right, Steve, you want to close this in prayer? Well, I got one thing to say before that happens, okay? All right. Um, these guys can't talk about their church very much because they sound like they're bragging. I get to come in and out of here. And those of you that are watching this, um, Willow, um, I was in Palm Springs last week. And a pastor in Palm Springs came up and said, hey, I hear you're, I hear you're part of Willow now. And I said, I am. And I'm thrilled. And he looked at me and he said, I'm really glad that that, that, that church has, has got a future. He, said, he looked at me and he said, Willow is America's church. And in a lot of ways, I guess as an outsider, you are doing some things that if every church were feeding people spiritually this well, Christianity America would be better off. Um, this morning, we came to church here. There is a line of cars stretching all the way out here of people coming up and they are bringing food out to them. I know no other church in America where that is happening. And so, Willow, as an outsider, if I can say this to you, every single church in America is asking one question now. And one of the questions they're asking is this. Um, we are really afraid. We can't gather. We can't take offerings. Are we going to be lowering our impact? Are we going to be sort of shrinking our ministries down? Or are we going to have to lay off our staff? And I am here to say this. I went saying it at Bayside, saying it here. At Willow and at churches like me, you don't just give to us. You give through us. And we are not going to run and hide. We are not going to live in fear. We are not going to cave into despair and encouragement. What we will do is this, continue to unleash compassion to people, but that only happens. My wife and I went online a while back, and we finally put our giving online. We just fixed our giving online. And ever since that day, we have been faithful to give instead of forgetful. It is a great transition. And so I just want to ask you one more time, okay? If somebody is out there going, you know what? I really should get in the game. I should help our church unleash compassion. How, what do they do? Uh, you just take out your phone and to the number 77977. Uh, text the letters WCSB, as in Willow Creek, South Barrington, and we'll send you a link with all the instructions. Fantastic. Yeah. Let's close in prayer. But first, thank you so much for being with us. We're so glad you joined us and it's great to be the church together. So let's pray now. Yeah, God, I just want to say a prayer of gratitude for all that you've done. And this service, we've been reflecting on Mark 2 of your great miracles. And God, we reflect on the fact that you've done great things in us. God, what I'd ask is you do miracles that you would protect those who are vulnerable. You'd care for those who are sick. You'd heal those who are ill. God, that you'd use us as Christians to bring hope and to love and to care. God, you'd use our care center and so many other ideas to bring hope to our city. But God, that those watching right now, they would sense your love and your grace today. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you. God bless everybody. Blessings, everyone.